Hey friends, I've got an easy softball question to start out our time together in God's word together. So uh, just take a deep breath. This one is gonna be so easy, you'll love it. What is your relationship with anger? Oh, that's easy, right? Uh, we've all got this down. No one ever gets angry, right? Um, <laughs> we live in an angry world and it's all around us. And if you are somehow able to, to elevate yourself above this, please put it in the comments down below. Tell us what your secret is. Um, we live in a world where it just feels like there's so many people that we bump into and their anger spills out on us. And we live in a world where it's easy for the people in our world to have our anger spill out on them. I mean, just yesterday, I'm driving down Hermosa. And um, for those of you that don't live in the area, I'm driving downhill. I'm driving, I guess it's south. And it's great because I get really good gas mileage when I'm driving down the street. It makes me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing so, I'm winning at life. And I'm coming to a, a stoplight and I'm coasting, so I'm not going fast enough for the, the van behind me. And he comes up, I'm in the right lane, and he comes up right in front of me and stops at a light, completely blocking my right turn. Ugh! I just get so angry, and I felt the temptation to get right up on his bumper and turn my, my signal on so it's just flashing in his rear view mirror. Uh, talk about, so sometimes your anger isn't completely external, sometimes it's a little passive aggressive and I stop myself. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm preaching on anger tomorrow. <laughs> and if you live in Southern California, have ever been here, you know road rage is a big deal. And road rage by definition is aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver. If you're watching this with people, don't elbow, don't elbow the person sitting next to you right now if they have a problem with this. And it's, it's scary when it comes out on us, but it's scary when it comes out on other people. Uh, the road rage behaviors in the, in, the, in the definition include rude and offensive gestures, uh, everyone's innocent here, right? That's, that's just for other people. So rude and offensive gestures, verbal insults, physical threats, or dangerous driving methods targeted toward another driver or, uh, or a pedestrian in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. I mean, it mentions pedestrians. Like that's scary, that's scary and it's a horrible thing because our anger is focused in, in the road rage, road rage context it's focused on other people, like complete strangers. And don't worry, this isn't gonna be a whole sermon on road rage. I'm just picking out, it's an easy one to pick on. Uh, because a percentage of us have, have experienced this uh, happen to us, of, uh, like someone's raging on us, and another percentage of us, we've raged on other people. Uh, it was a couple months ago, my wife turned to me and we're in traffic, and uh, we're in the HOV lane and it's going slower than the regular lanes, and I'm getting frustrated. And she just turned and with her angelic, uh, wonderful, loving smile on her face said, remember, we are traffic. So all of us at some level have engaged and, and had to wrestle with the anger in our hearts. Maybe it's road rage, maybe it's something else. Uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're like, no, 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 Mike, I don't have anger or rage. I just have frustration. 
Well, if that's you, maybe you should consider a career in public relations. <laughs> Because it's anger. It's anger, no matter what you call it. And it's this, this response when something wrong out there happens, but there's no possible way that we're a part of the problem. Something, something's wrong out there, but I'm not the source. Uh, and, and just to catch you up, if you're jumping in with us, and maybe this is your first time or you've been away for a while, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how to say no to the emotions that compete for control of our lives. These, there's emotions that we wrestle with that compete for control of our mouth, and there's emotions that we deal with that compete for control of our moods. And Jesus says it comes out of us because it was in us to begin with. If, there's, if you're a jar and there's anger in there and, and I shake it, whatever's inside of you is going to come out. And shaking it or pouring it out isn't going to cause something different to come out. These types of emotions and this struggle, it comes from our hearts and that's what we need to monitor. As we grow older, we get pretty good at monitoring our behavior so we can have a job, we can have a friend, hopefully have, have, a, loved, have a loved one like in our life. And we, we know we're supposed to monitor our behavior and have good uh, social skills. But as, as I'm looking through the scriptures and, and talking about this and learning about this week in, week out, I'm seeing the importance of actually monitoring our heart first and foremost, and what's going on underneath the surface. Jesus encourages us to go deeper and to go beneath the surface. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want, I want you to write down uh, is when our emotions take control, things get out of control. When fear gets out of control, and that, when, when fear takes control, it, it, you lose control of your life so easily. Lose control over your bearings and your perspective. Envy, when that takes control, it's an all-encompassing thing and, and puts you in this striving mindset of hustling for your worth and value. And today, let's take a look at the emotion of anger. And nobody, nobody wants anger to be the boss of them. That, that isn't a religious thing. That's no matter what your creed is or what your background is, everyone at some level can, uh, can look at someone whose anger has controlled their life and they're like, I don't want to be like that. And anger isn't just for people who externalize it. Today, you know, there, is, there are people who, uh, who are extroverted with their anger, people who lose their temper and fly off at the handle, slam something, break something, uh, but also... You can internalize anger and express it. And this is where I, when I'm not moving towards health, I get moody. Uh, the people in my life know that, that when I'm silent, that can, be, that can be my anger. And it feels violent to them, uh, controlling to them. And maybe you don't let it out, but it has the same effect on the people around you. So those are negative examples of anger, and there's, there's good ways to ha handle anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. So there's externalizing anger, whether you do it in an extroverted way or introverted way, but there's also what I call advocate anger. Maybe there's uh, something we're angry at that we see in the world and we say, that's unjust, and, and you say, someone needs to do something about this. 
And there's, the, there's a righteous impulse. So these people need to be defended. And when it's handled properly, it can result in things like women's suffrage or child labor laws or righting a wrong in the world. But to pivot back to us, like the healthy, and we all want to be in the advocate anger zone. Like, yes, I'm standing up for other people who have no voice or whatever it is. But advocate anger focuses on what others aren't getting that they deserve. But when we're just doing that, that unhealthy anger, the thoughts mess us up because the anger, the unhealthy anger thoughts say, I'm not getting what I'm sure I deserve. Do you see the difference? One is constructive and the other is destructive. And this isn't a new dynamic that we have to wrestle with. This has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And today we're going to look at a letter. Now, uh, those of us at Solid Ground, we looked at this about a year ago in depth. Uh, it's, it's a letter by James, the brother of Jesus, which is a very interesting subject in and of itself, the brother of Jesus. But we don't have time to get into that today. What you need to know is he was a leader in the local church very early on, and he wrote this book to a group of Christians that is full of wisdom. I mean, it's, it's like the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. And he gives us an extraordinary principle to, to maintain our control over anger and make sure that anger isn't the, the, the boss of us. And this principle is so simple. <laughs> you, you may be like, oh, Mike, as we get into this, Mike, this is so simple, it almost hurts. But if you embrace this, it will do more to keep anger from being the boss of you than almost anything else. So as we jump in, James is going to ask two questions of the readers here. And the first one is this, in James 3.13, just the first part of it. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise among you? And he... What we need to get here is that wise people understand that life is connected. Wise people understand cause and effect relationships. There is a reason why rental car companies don't rent to people under 25. Their prefrontal cortex of their brain is not fully developed yet. And I don't think that was an a, a anatomy-based decision. I think rental cars... Companies just looked at people and said, oh, people under 25 make poor decisions more so than people over 25. But cause, cause and effect relationships in your brain, it, it happens in this frontal lobe of your brain where you, where you realize, if I do this, this is going to happen. This is a wise person. People with a highly developed character and who are considered wise, they understand. I can't just say anything that creeps up into the old noggin. So James continues, if you're wise, he continues and says, let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So number two, if you're taking notes, is wise people are always humble because arrogance doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if you are wise, that wisdom is exported through humility to, to realize you don't have it all together. Being wise doesn't mean you're perfect, but being wise means you're curious. You're, you understand that, that you have a, a very real sense of how imperfect you are. There's wisdom in that. And the wiser you are, the more humble you're going to be. So humility 
it's not natural. This is a acquired taste. This is not something that, that, that babies and infants and toddlers just get naturally. This is part of following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we're rewired to become humble. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But James continues on, on this track of wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Now, if you're just reading this like we read now, just to ingest a bunch of content as quickly as possible, you can easily skip that word harbor. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, think about that, that imagery, a boat safe in a harbor. If you say to anger, come on in here and, and dock in my heart, you're safe here, you can grow here. Envy, come on in. The water's calm. There's no winds. You have a safe harbor in my heart. That sets you up for danger. And James continues, do not boast about it or deny the truth. These people who lack wisdom, they lack humility, and they make life all about themselves because they've let envy and anger grow and grow in their hearts. And now they can justify just about anything. Wise people don't deny the truth. Wise people say, I've got issues. I'm working on them. Now, they don't beat themselves up about it. They say, I'm not where I was, but I have a healthy realization that I'm not where I want to be either. Wise people live in the light of truth. And when you find, when you find all this stuff lodged in your heart, you realize, okay, this is the next part of my journey. God, help me deal with these these emotions in my heart that are trying to control me. And James elaborates further in verse 16, for when you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So eventually, these things that have been harbored in your heart will bring about disorder and evil because you're justifying it. Like, it's already there. When life shakes you, that's what comes out. Uh, and, and, and you're like, oh, well, then the, all the problems are out there. Look at my behavior. I'm fine. They've got the problem. And then when life, life gets around you, it's going to come out of you. That's the third point. What's inside of you is going to come out of you. And what's inside of you is coming out on the people around you. And James get to the point. He knows he's got to like, okay, back up and I've got to restate this. So he resets in verse one of chapter four with another question. What causes fights? Did you catch that? What causes fights? That stood out to me. He didn't say who's, who's causing the fight. Who's the troublemaker around you? No, it's what causes fights and quarrels among you? He didn't say, who is it? So you could say, it's my mom. It's my mother-in-law that's causing all this problem. It's my ninth grade son. That kid, it's like, went to high school, thinks he knows everything. Uh, didn't say, who causes fights around you? So you and I could say, it's my boss or my manager at work. They just don't get it. They, they're micromanaging me. No, the problem is a who. James says, <laughs> the problem is not a who. The problem is a what. The problem is a what. So as long as you think it's a who, you'll never get to the what that's causing so much anger and stirring it up inside of you. So back to James again. 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The source of these battles is something going on inside of you. And you don't get what you want. And get and, and, it, and it's an opportunity to get angry. They don't come from his inability to see the way you, you see the world. It doesn't come from her inability to, to put themselves in your shoes. There's a desire inside of us. So if you've ever, maybe you found yourself saying it. I have, I'm the first in line to say this. If they would just see it my way, then all things would be better. But the reality is there's something going on inside of us. Guys, this idea has the potential to change our lives. This, this is an opportunity for us to change our relationship to anger and change the relationship uh, with the people we have in our lives. This can change every, this can change our world. James says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Yes. Because there's something that we all want, and that's okay to want things. You have valid emotional, physical, spiritual, relational needs. When they don't get met, there's an opportunity for anger to stir up, especially if we don't deal with what's going on inside of our hearts. Whatever, and whatever, what do you fight about? I just want you to come home on time. What do, you, what do you get angry about at work? I just want a fair shot. Nobody sees what I do. The root cause in all of those things, the root cause of what makes us angry, we're not getting something that we want. So many times we, we, we think about how unfair it is and we get angry. But I earned it and I didn't get it. But they promised they would do it and they didn't follow through. What they did to me wasn't fair. Right. And I'm not saying those people are right. I'm saying let's take a deep breath right now and think about the fact that somewhere in, in these scenarios, we're not getting what we want. When we get angry, it's, it's like a, a check engine light on the dashboard that says, okay, wait a minute. All right. We need to pause and in that moment, Say, wait, there is a problem inside of me. There most likely is an external problem too. An external what and an external who. I totally get that, but you are responsible. I am responsible for the things that we cultivate inside of our hearts. You and I are responsible for the words that come out of our mouth and the actions that we do. And the first step is taking a deep breath and saying, what's going on inside of me? What am I wanting that I'm not getting? Parents, you ever driven like this? One hand on the wheel, you got two kids fighting in the back seat. My kids would never do that. Have you ever been that kid in the back seat? Ever drawn the line in the middle? Don't come over here. He just put his finger over the line. He's on my side. And the parents, reaching around, don't make me turn this car around. Now, now there's two kids that are mad, a parent that's mad. They're fighting because they're not getting what they want. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness for the law that says uh, kids under a certain age or height or whatever have to sit in the back. I got into knockdown drag outs over who, who sat in the front seat when I was a young kid. They're, they're fighting over, they're not getting what they want. And as the parent, most of the time, when, when you wind up as the Supreme Court judge in the front seat negotiating this 
this hostage situation in the back and, and conflict, World War III going on there, you realize both of you are wrong. <laughs> Stop it. Cut it out. The source is not just out there. The source is in here. The moment you embrace this as a lifestyle, the benefit is that the temperature goes down a little bit and it won't control your moods. You may have a legitimate reason to be angry, but when you stop and say, okay, I'm not getting what I want. What is it that I want? It, even neurologically, it puts you in a different space where you can think clearer when you acknowledge your part, your part in the scenario. So James goes on because he knows, like I said before, he needs some repetition here. And this one's important. In verse two of chapter four, he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. So you kill. Is that an overstatement? It is, but it isn't. Like to put it, if I were to paraphrase this, I feel like James would be saying, look, when you don't recognize the source of your anger, you carry the potential to carry things to an unhealthy extreme. You may not literally murder someone, but Jesus, when we think about his words, great, you haven't killed anyone today. But if you're angry, if you call someone fool, you've committed murder in your heart. When we say to anger, come on in, set up shop right, in, right inside my mind and my heart, you carry around the potential to carry things to an unhealthy extreme. If you feel like the problem is him and he is out of control, then you'll feel like there's an excuse for you not to take control of you. If the problem's her, she's got the problem. That gives you a free ticket and you can justify almost anything. And James is saying to an unhealthy extreme of murder, as long as you think they're out of control and it's their problem, you give up the opportunity to control what's nourished inside of you. The thing that causes murder can live inside of you. Those are sobering words. I think as, as much as so many people want to be good moral people, Jesus followers, we want to do what's right. And all these external behaviors we spend so much time on, don't you think it's wise that we take a moment and think, if we have the potential for murder inside of our hearts, Makes sense to clean it out. Makes sense to check in with what's going on under the surface. And James says, like, that's a thing inside of you. Like, doing something about that thing will cause, and, and if you let that, if you let that thing just grow and grow inside of you, it can cause you to do something unhealthy to someone else. So, James comes in for a landing here in this last part of verse two. And he says, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So you're not getting what you want. And we think that the, the, op the only option is to fight for it. Again, the source is not out there. The source of these fights is inside. When we aren't getting our way, when we aren't getting what we want, and when we're acting like the kids in the back seat, I think there's a reason why God wants us over and over to call him our heavenly father. 
<laughs> just planet Earth as like billions of people in the back seat, just, ah, he took my thing, you know, like and God's saying, when conflict happens, you're going to get shaken. Be careful of what comes out of you when you are shaken, because conflict's gonna happen. Jesus didn't promise us a conflict-free life. Of course we're going to get upset. People break their promises. People do hurtful things. People betray us. This is a natural part of life. But what we nurture inside of our hearts is going to spill out. And it's either gonna help the situation, or it's gonna hurt it. I had a boss in my mid-20s. Uh, I was a middle school youth pastor and there was some sort of conflict with parents and volunteers. I can't remember the exact situation, but I do remember before going into that meeting, my boss saying, Mike, there's a fire in there. What are you gonna bring in there? Are you gonna bring gasoline to the fire or are you going to bring water? And what James is encouraging us to do is to, to take a deep breath and look inside and say, oh my goodness, I'm not getting what I want. And I'm part of the problem. When even just that act helps us put down the can of gasoline and walk over towards the fire with a bucket of water. When you can own your own slice of the pie, we get out of fight or flight a little bit more. The temperature comes down and the anger and rage and frustration no longer boss you around. That is the good news. Anger and rage and frustration don't have to be the boss of you and they don't have to be the boss of your moods. So a question that we started with, what's your relationship with anger? Do you let it boss you around? Maybe you don't, maybe you hide it really well and you haven't yelled at anybody or slammed anything or broken anything in a long time. But does it control your mood? Does it, do, you, do you turn anger back on, in on yourself? And maybe, maybe you're the object of your anger. I always do this. You're over, over angry at yourself. Does anger control your mouth? Are you ready to put an end to it? I mean, just think for a second. What would the people around you say about your relationship with anger? And be kind to yourself. You can always grow. We can all, don't start beating yourself up. So with anger, do you allow it to be the boss of you? And maybe for you, anger is just one kind of situation or one kind of person that really brings it out of you or a, a, a profession or a, a type of background that the person is from or the environment that you're in. And like, you may, you may be fine at work, the model, employee, I mean, just going above and beyond, but then you get home and people are like, oh no, dad's home, oh no, mom's home, ugh. Anger doesn't have to be the boss of you. What James is calling for us to do and what Jesus calls us to do over and over in the examples we have of his life, it calls for humility. Humility is so sensible. Arrogance, their problem. If they would just get their act together. Arrogance and pride lead nowhere. Humility says, I'm no longer going to let anger control my mood or my mouth, and I'm gonna own my part in the dysfunction. I got problems too. That puts you on the hook. It lets the other person off the hook and says, 
I'm going to own my part in this. And guys, I know before today is over, maybe before you go to the next web browser tab or the next app, we're going to have a chance to practice this. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it. And maybe part of it is because we're talking about it today. But when you feel that, when you feel that disturbance in the force, you feel that Tyrannosaurus Rex of anger shaking your table, I want you to take a deep breath and say, anger, you're not the boss of me. I want you to say, there's some, I want you to say to yourself, okay, there's something here that I want and I'm not getting it. Say, anger, you will not control my mouth and you will not control my mood. And for those of you who are following Jesus, you have given Jesus control of your lives. The, the ante is upped for us because you and I, we already have a boss. And by the way, he didn't get what he wanted either. You have a boss who said no to himself so you and I and the rest of humanity could get what it needed most. The New Testament writer Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, this, this verse says that God, you know, God should get whatever God wants. That just makes sense. But when it came to Jesus, he never walked into a room and said, I'm Jesus, you sit down and shut up. Give me the best spot. He never did that. In word, deed, actions, Jesus, as our example, humbled himself. Paul says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus chose nothing over something for you and me. Paul's, Paul's saying basically, to paraphrase, hey, Jesus followers, this is what it looks like to follow him. In verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. All relationships, not just at work, not just at home, not just if she's really cute or he's really handsome, be humble like Jesus. Humble ourselves. And Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross. He gave up his comfort. He gave up everything he wanted. Jesus gave up everything he deserved. Especially, guys, we can do that. Especially if it keeps anger from getting the best of us. Jesus always nudges us away from self-centered arrogance and towards others-focused living and humility. When you move towards others and humility, when you embrace wisdom and the truth about yourself, you get bigger and your life gets better. And you move towards a life where anger is not the boss of you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, search our hearts in this moment. Give us the awareness that can only come from you. Uh, if there's stuff we've got to deal with, if we've been opening our hearts to anger, may it stop now in Jesus' name. For those of us who struggle with anger, would you please help us to perceive your, your presence right now, your healing presence. Give us the courage to give you our anger. Maybe some of us have been carrying it around for years. 
Give us the courage to say, anger, you're not the boss of me. And in Jesus' name, we lay anger down and acknowledge once again that you are the boss of us. God, you are Lord of our lives and we turn over control of our life to you and ask that as these opportunities come, you'll slow our thinking down and, and we'll even let ourselves off the hook because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, it, please send all of your angry emails to, no, I'm just kidding. Um, had to lighten the mood a little bit after talking about anger, but I'm praying that this will be helpful to you. And if, you, if we were talking about something that you'd love to process a little bit more, don't you dare hesitate to reach out to us at sgbic.com. We'd love to be on this journey with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some progress in my life in this area and all of our lives together as we move away from letting these negative emotions be the boss of us. So until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.